0: And welcome to the Fun and Sobriety podcast. I'm your host Dylan, and I am an alcoholic. Uh, today is another solo episode of the Fun and Sobriety podcast. You're welcome. Um, and I'm I'm not sure, not sure how long I'm going to talk today. Um, um, I just have uh, uh, what I think is a pretty simple topic that's been rattling around in my my head recently that i wanted to uh i don't know set down some thoughts about on this podcast as it's extremely important and critical to my recovery and i i would venture to guess it's probably a extremely important aspect of anyone and anyone trying to be trying to find so <laughs> trying to find sobriety trying to find sober uh trying to Live a, a a life of recovery, or whatever language someone might want to use for their own sobriety, but um, honesty. Um, and uh, I'm waffling here because I, I guess the only way to really get into this would be to talk about my own my own history. Um, you know, for me, when I finally found recovery when I finally <laughs> became sober had had it stick for what is hopefully the last time you know 10 10 and uh, over 10 and a half years ago now I guess we're rounding the corner on 11 aren't we um uh, one of the keys one of the primary things that occurred was I was able to get honest um And that was critical. Um, My my drinking was marked by years of dishonesty, years of lying. Um, If not just outright lying, then lying by omission or minimization of what was happening, what I was doing, how I was feeling, what I was going through, minimizing what I... Knew I was doing to other people by my actions and by the way I was behaving. The way I was, I was, I was lying to everyone in my life. I was lying to myself first and foremost. And and when I could lie to myself, it made it a lot easier to lie to everyone else. Right? Um, it was that George Costanza line from Seinfeld that it's not a lie if you believe it? that's you know it was a funny moment on that show and i remember seeing that and it resonating with me over the years i mean i'm i'm pretty sure i wasn't <clears throat> in the complete throes of my downward spiral when that episode initially aired but it certainly rang true through the uh, subsequent years during which I was lying and lying and lying and lying and living an embarrassingly dishonest existence. Um, I mean, it's, it's not an exaggeration to say that I spent a good, well, I spent most of my adult life with a measure of dishonesty, I suppose, but um I don't want to get too esoteric about all of this but in terms of in terms of my recovery my drinking career was always always something i minimized right from the first time i ever got loaded <clears throat> from the first time i ever got you know brown out if not blackout drunk which was basically the first time i ever really drank I found myself minimizing about it, right? Which is, which is a common thing. I don't, I don't think that that makes me unique. I think, um, part of the end of my story is a little bit more, uh, uh specific to my behavior, although still not unique, just not as universal. I mean, I know lots of people, uh, who start drinking in their teens, especially, you know, there's a, there's an a mark of dishonesty about it. There's bravado and pretending like you drank more than you did. And then when you realize that it's becoming an issue, you you start minimizing how much you're drinking. Um, but that's going too far astray, right? Like I, I, I drank alcoholically from the go. And that would be the first thing that I was lying by omission to myself. Right. I, I, I don't know how much of this is me putting in memories to form a, narr- a narrative now that it's, you know, decades later and how much of it was genuine at the time, but I I know when I think back on it on my youth, on my my years as a teen and 20s, you know, in throughout my 20s drinking and drinking and concealing the quantity is of more, uh, the quantity of how much I was actually consuming from the people around me, um, I know in the back of my mind I was always kicking it down the line. I was always kicking the conscious acknowledgement that there was something wrong with the way I was drinking. I was always kicking that further down. It was something that I would I would deal with later, right? And that's. That's not the only thing I did that about. I did that with a ton of things. It's one of my main, one of my, you know, what I designate worst character flaws is that tendency to just want to push the big things further away and not deal with them today. Which, you know, surprise, surprise, has led to some real resentments and pain and frustration and difficulties as I've progressed in life. Um, But yeah, yeah. Knowing that I was drinking alcoholically, knowing that part of me never, ever, 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 ever wanted to stop. When I started, I never wanted to stop, and it was—it was an unflattering thing. It was unappealing, and I could feel it in me as I was. I, it, my my brain registers me as like a junkie, a jonesing for more, no matter what it was no matter when in my life, I, I was obsessed with making sure I had as much of the alcohol that was around as I possibly could. And, you know, still self-aware enough to know that that was unappealing, that that made me look like a jerk or whatever, like the kind of person who's like hoarding a couple of extra beers so that no one else gets them, you know, that kind of thing. That's that's some antisocial, if not outright asshole behavior and and so yeah i I would just rationalize it to myself as me getting mine, and all of that is just to say that i i knew I knew I was doing it wrong, I knew that it wasn't the way it wasn't the way a gentleman would do it um, but you know the convenient thing about getting a little buzzed up is it's easy to just push that kind of thinking aside. So yeah, you know that's that's part of that's part of it. It's, it is why the first step is what it is. Right? You in, in, admit to myself that I'm an alcoholic and my life is unmanageable. Right? That's an unmanageable way to live. But that's that's not. I mean, that's that's the foundation for the way I behaved. But but years passed, and and to be honest it's impossible to talk about my drinking career without talking about my codependent relationship with the woman who I was seeing and eventually married and had children with, you know, my, my, my ex. So it's, she was someone I latched onto very young. Um, we were good friends. We fell in love and part of what made her appealing to me was that I could see that she could see like I I knew she could see I was someone better than who I was actually being at that time right I mean at 20 years old I already knew that the people I was surrounding myself with the the jobs I was taking the life I was engaging in the 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 decisions I was choosing to make every freaking free moment and, and of my days They weren't going to be leading me anywhere great. But she could see that I was, you know, better than all that. She um, had known me as a younger person, right? We met when we were in high school, and we were friends for a long time. And so she knew me as a sweet, thoughtful, caring, kind, intelligent, gregarious, fun, all the nice qualities about me that I was slowly i could feel leaking away as i was becoming more and more i don't know slothful for lack of a better word and just kind of gross and so i grabbed onto her affection and her love and and i i wanted so much to change and so i used her as the outward um i don't know the outward impetus for it right and I, and again i don't think this makes me unique i think a lot of people do this. You know, I think it's kind of almost a stereotype that a a man will grab a good woman because she'll keep him straight, like whatever. Um, And again, this is something I can talk about honestly now. I I had to go through a lot of bullshit, especially drunken bullshit and, and bullshit in my early recovery. And by bullshit, I just mean pain and difficulty and bumping into walls metaphorically before I could like acknowledge and see what was right in front of me as you know dishonesty right like I I, actually I don't know that one I was pretty clear on I mean it was it was night and day right like we got together and I at least made an effort right I I went to college I went to I finished college I I got a degree in physics because that's just what you do if you're me I guess um you know, a math degree, a physics degree, went on and got a mm-hmm. master's and a PhD in engineering. And all the while, you know, outwardly, I had become, you know, a good man, let's call it, right? I was I was doing the right things, obviously. I, I mean, I was I was doing this. I'd, I'd gotten degrees. I was... On the on the straight and narrow, I was getting excellent grades. It was a. You know, eventually, we got married. I was a good husband. I was a faithful boyfriend and faithful husband. All of the the good qualities that I uh, felt I could always be right, like whether or not they were something I felt deep inside of me. That's you know that's where the the self deception comes in because the only thing that really was ever an issue between us uh that's that's inaccurate but the only one of the major things one of the the primary things we ever fought about was my drinking right and that was always always on the forefront right and and there was always jokes that you know, I had to watch it or else the AA police were going to get me, right? That was a that was an actual joke that we would make. And by joke that we would make, it was the kind of thing that she would say exasperatedly towards me when I would be hungover as fuck the next day after, once again, drinking too much and, you know, embarrassing both of us. And I won't go into the dysfunction of what it took to keep her happy and and how much of that was projection and, and codependency and, and all of the nonsense that was also built into all that. Because fundamentally, at the, at the end of the day, it wasn't an inaccurate point of view. I, I was drinking too much. I was clearly out of control. I clearly could not stop. I clearly became a different person. Or at least the worst aspects of who I am became uh, amplified the more intoxicated I became. And, and part of that, part of that stemmed from a deep unhappiness with what I was doing, right? Like that's, that's the aspect of honesty that I'm only able to admit now because time has passed and because I'm capable of looking at it and acknowledging it and hopefully learning from it that I wasn't capable of doing as I was living it, right? The the idea that I was making poor decisions, not simply alcohol-related, but like life decisions, fundamental changes to my future that I wasn't as comfortable making as I was pretending to be, like th- those kind of dishonesties, self-deceptions, you know? And there's, there's a part of me that it registers that some of why I drank was because, subconsciously or deep down inside me, and in this little tiny voice, this little self-aware being that I had stopped ever stopped even acknowledging anymore, was kind of crying out, saying, "Yeah, this isn't right." Like I had this little thing inside of me that was like, "I don't know if you're making the right choices here," but I would just drown that out. I would I would literally drown it in liquor and obliterate any thoughts of it and if they ever did come up once again i would kick them down the line and say to myself well this will get better in the future right now this is what i'm going to do cuz this feels like the right thing to do i'll i'll look at it again later I'll look at it again later and eventually I had to quit drinking, right? Eventually, I had kids. And eventually, I I had to do something. Because drinking the way I was, even though I was in graduate school, even though I was doing all of the uh, right things that a a right-minded man is supposed to do, a good husband, a good father, well, I guess I wasn't proving that at that point. I wanted to be a good father, right? And, And once I had a kid, I had to be a good father. And that was... Brought home all the more clearly by my wife, who took exception to me being extremely, extremely intoxicated while watching the, you know, infant child alone in the house. Right? Which is a very reasonable thing to be upset about. And I had enough wits about me to know, yeah, no, this isn't acceptable. And I'm not going to lose my wife and and family to this fucking stupid Liquor. And I had this sense that I could just do it, right? Like, even though at that point I hadn't... I was, what, 28 years old? Even though at that point I had never successfully not... I had never been able to stay sober for... uh, uh, Intentionally sober for more than 30 days. I was convinced that I could just do it, right? So... I suppose you know this is getting into too much detail, but it it all just leads to this to this awareness eventual awareness that i was being i wasn't being honest with myself i was I was being self deceptive and I was <sighs> through that being deceptive to everyone in my life my my wife, my family right It's my infant child, but it's a baby, so you know nominally, who cares if you're not saying things correct to a baby. I, that's a stupid sidebar. The point is, is I convinced myself that I'd be able to just stop, right? Like I had the shock of my wife giving me the ultimatum of like, Hey, you, you've, you've got to stop this or are you going to go to be like, no, I, I, I had the pride and the, the willpower to say, nah, no, I, I hear you. I hear you, babe i'm not going to do that i'm not going to be a piece of shit like that, and so I stopped drinking right i i, I think the date was June tenth nineteen or two thousand right stopped drinking on June tenth two thousand even if it wasn't June tenth It was right around that time, right. My daughter was just under six months old, and I quit and i and i I even went to some counseling and I remember the counselor one of the last sessions I went to, because I didn't go for very long, because why would I? You know, I'm, I'm a healthy guy. I can I got control of this shit. And one of the last sessions, and it certainly had nothing to do with this, she brought up that she didn't think I was serious. And, you know, maybe she didn't think I was serious because I would go to those sessions and I'd have a smirk on my face and I would be very glib about everything and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't have any concept of anything we talked about and I definitely never went into any details about anything about my life with her i didn't talk about my relationship with my mother i didn't talk about the feelings of abandonment in my life i didn't talk about anything i'm because partly i was 28 and you know as old as anyone 28 out there might who might be listening might feel you are not old and you don't know shit and unless you've gone through some serious serious shit and you've had to look at it you don't know shit about yourself <sighs> at least that was my experience and kind of experience I've shared and had shared with me from people who are a good decade past that, that. You're just living, right? You haven't for the most part had to dig in and and frankly that would have been my time. That would have been my time to dig in to to look at myself, to be honest with myself, to to be vulnerable and real and instead I just popped up this facade that I had developed over the decades <laughs> the facade of of me being Mr. fucking cool and capable and I could handle it. And I told her, no, I'm serious. And she said, oh, I remember. She she wrote it in her notebook. Oh, Dylan is serious. And who knows if it's true, but I'm going to say that was the last time I was at that counseling session because I didn't need fucking her. I didn't fucking need anybody, right? I I knew I could do it. And I didn't think about it, right? I just didn't drink. I, I had didn't have any temptations because I wasn't really surrounded by it. And I had the ever-watchful eye of my wife with the guillotine of knowing I would lose her and through that everything if I were to start drinking. And again, I'm not going to do that. And that worked for, I don't know, three, three and a half, almost four years three and a half almost four years of sitting on my hands white knuckling it three and a half four years of me leaving graduate school early to take a job in a career that I wasn't passionate about but was right there and I could do and I was you know nominally good at it right out of the gate and yeah i'm I have a high intelligence so I could adapt and I could grab on, and, and I was passionate and interested, and in, so I would do things and and throw myself into it, and, and and I guess I sort of used work in the way that I had been using liquor, right? I mean, I, I don't know that I ever felt as passionately about my work as I did about drinking, but I certainly needed some way to get away from that nagging sensation, the little voice inside of me that I was no longer able to drink away into oblivion that was telling me, man, are you sure this is what you want to do? Are you sure you sure you wanna take a job sitting in a cubicle? You know? But it was the <sighs> responsible thing to do, right? Like I I knew it was the right thing to do because it was responsible. And even if it wasn't passion, it wasn't something I was passionate about. It was something I could do right Just like I, I wasn't passionate about not drinking but it's something I can do. I can prove to myself and by proving to myself prove to the world that I can just fucking do it. And that worked. Like I said, it worked for a few years. I got a job. I I did well at the job. I advanced a bit in the job. You know, things were good. I had friends. People liked me at my work. People acknowledged, you know, my attitude and my abilities and my skills. And we had more kids and got more debt. We got more overhead and more responsibilities and more things blooming over me and more (sighs) potential failures, right? Every one of those things was also one more potential thing to weigh me down. And again, this is me talking today. This wasn't me talking then. Me talking then would have sold you on the idea that I was fucking flying high, that life was good, couldn't be better, the world was my oyster, everything was unfolding in the most wonderful way. I, I'm I pausing there because I'm trying to even find that mindset that enabled me to believe I was happy. I mean, I, I think for a few years in my early recovery, I could find that, that I hate to call it, but it was delusion that I was completely happy. I mean, it wasn't all sadness and melancholy, but I, I wasn't happy. I wasn't satisfied. And again, these are things I can admit today because I've learned that the only way that I can move forward and have any hope of the future from today forward being anything close to satisfying and anything that's going to make me feel like I can continue on down the path I'm on is if I'm honest about shit. February 29th, 2004? I believe it was. I drank. I'd been not drinking for whatever I said, three and a half, four years. And that night I just decided to do it. And suddenly the little self-deception that I had fostered deep inside of me and kept a little kernel going was able to be unleashed and I could once again return to being completely fracturous, right? And it wasn't out of the gate. I was capable of lying to myself that it wasn't a big deal, that it was just this one weekend thing, right? My family was out of town and I was doing work at the house, you know, intentionally sent them away so that I could do this, you know, redo my entire kitchen at the house I was living in, redo the kitchen floor and it would just be easier without, you know, a Oh, 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 without, without, without my wife and, and my two, you know, my two kids, my, 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 my son was just over a year old at that point. So, you know, you know, it's just easier to do that kind of thing and disrupt the entire life without them around. And, and, you know, lo and behold, it was also easy for me to drink and I drank and I drank and I, and I got very intoxicated and I <laughs> I got very intoxicated off of the alcoholic beverages that I was consuming. And I convinced myself that it was just going to be a flash in the pan, that it was just me kind of letting off steam, that it was just no big deal. It was no big deal. I could keep my hands around it. And, and, and you know, when they got home and they returned a week later and they'd finished the work and they were, you know, satisfied and happy, they, my wife was, and... You know, we have returned to life as usual. You know, I, I convinced myself that it wasn't a big deal that I was gonna probably have a couple beers every weekend. That I, I, would, I would, I would, buy a couple beers on my way home from work, and I would just have a, I would just have a couple beers on Friday. And then, you know, I, I'll set aside a few for. A, I'll just have a couple beers Friday night, Saturday. I'll just, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's not a big deal. I'm not gonna tell my wife about it though, because, you know, the guillotine is hanging over my head. So I'm, I'm just gonna. It's not a big deal is what i told myself it's not a big deal and you know i can i can look at it later I mean, I know this was, this was an issue and it's still an issue and I'm just going to pretend like it's not an issue. I'm not going to bring it up and I'm going to keep hiding cans of beer and I'm going to make sure that the empties get recycled at the bottom of the aluminum and, and, you know, when it's turned into also buying little mini bottles of wine or buying an extra bottle of wine, cause my wife still drank, she still drank wine and I would just buy an extra bottle of wine so that I could, I could help her drink the bottle and then, you know, either replace it or just keep refilling it, you know, so, you know, maintaining an, a very conscious awareness of exactly how much liquor was left in the liquor bottle that, you know, she alone was drinking in the house, the wine that she alone was drinking, any beer that was in the house for a barbecue or anything, having a a, a, a very conscious awareness of exactly how many beers were in there. You know, that was, that was all just fine. I would, I I, was, I was manageable. It wasn't a big deal. That's what I told myself. And I kept it under wraps. And I did it. And I did it. And I did it. And come October of 2005, a year and a half later, I was drinking every single day. Most of the time, if it was the weekend especially, to black out. But as far as my wife knew, as far as my family knew, as far as my friends knew, I was still a teetotaler. And maybe... I don't know. Maybe she was just doing her own bit of self-deception and and she knew and she just didn't want to acknowledge it. Or maybe I was that good of an actor, a faker, but I just kept pretending like it wasn't happening. I just kept kicking it down the line. Like I said, just kept saying, you know, I'll deal with this later. This won't be a big deal. I can stop again. I stopped before, I can stop again, but it's not a big deal. I'm just blowing off steam. This is just the way I'm relaxing, right? I deserve it. I deserve to relax, I work hard, I got a lot of responsibilities, I got a lot of things on my plate, I got a lot of uh, <laughs> mouths to feed and a house to maintain, I, I deserve it. And in October of 2005, when my third child was born, I, I I put the brakes on and I didn't drink for an entire week, And and part of me wants to convince you that it was for two weeks, but it was one week. I didn't drink for an entire week when my daughter was born. And as I made my way to the liquor store after that week was up, and I just in auto, you know, in 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 autopilot, went up to the cashier and paid paid in cash. There's no way I could leave a credit trail, right? And made my way out to the car to stash the bottle of vodka. In the uh, trunk underneath some blankets. It occurred to me that I'd only been able to stay sober for one week in the past three years or two and a half years or whatever it had been. A year and a half at that point felt like fucking forever. And it certainly felt like way too long to be unable to stay sober for longer than seven days especially for someone like me who, as far as anyone is concerned, and as far as I actually used as one of the things that defined me, was that I was not a drinker. (sighs) And that, that blew up in my face. And I don't think that's a surprise, right? I suppose the only thing surprising is that it took almost... Three more years for it to blow up in my face to an extent that I had to actually acknowledge it, right because over the next two and a half years, my drinking escalated, and it reached a level i mean we 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 stopped having children you know we you know obvious I don't know if obvious is the right word, but that was our last kid, and once everything you know once we knew the kid was healthy and we had the conversation that you know this was going to be it. I got a vasectomy and we both just started fucking working on ourselves to get back in shape and be, you know, I don't know. That's just what, 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 what middle-class white people do, I guess, <laughs> or maybe just middle-class people for that matter, right? You have your kids and then you start, you know, hitting the gym again, you start like looking for outward approval again, you know, you you you've zeroed yourself around your own family unit for so long. Now you start like looking for, for the world again, making yourself available out there and, and. Not in some fucking swinger way or anything like that. Just an awareness that, yeah, okay. You know, we're still young. We're still vibrant. And point is, we just started to live again. And for my wife, she started to feel, you know she had friends she wanted to go out and party she wanted to go do things she wanted to like spend a little bit more time with her girlfriends on a friday night or on a saturday night or on a tuesday night or on a wednesday night you know go out and do shit come out have a few cocktails have a few glasses of wine just blow off some steam with the girls you know cuz she 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 was a single not a single but she was home alone with three kids for you know monday through friday right i mean that's a tough fucking that's a tough fucking job and i I leaned heavily into the supportive husband role there. Not only because I acknowledge that that's a tough fucking job. And you do need to go blow off some steam. You do deserve a break when you get home. You do deserve to go hang out with your friends periodically. You know, a couple times a week even. It doesn't matter. It's just part of the fucking trade-off in a modern family. At least that's the way it seems to me. So yeah, that was inherent to it but it also served the double purpose of enabling me to be alone with the alcohol I'd stashed in the house while she was out and I would encourage her because I was a good supportive husband to just you know don't worry about it take a taxi home have a have that extra cocktail it's not a big deal come home come home an hour later not a big deal because the drunker she was the more cross-eyed she was when she stumbled into bed, the less likely she was to smell me. And I, I don't even know. I have no clear memory of how long that went on. Six months, a year of me being almost blackout drunk pretty much every night, and her... I don't know a handful of times a week i in the you know and the nights that she wouldn't go out, she'd have a couple glasses of wine enough to have plausible deniability of where that alcohol smell was coming from, and that's when that's when the real dishonesty when I think back on how dishonest I was in my drinking, this is what I'm thinking of this period of time because everything about my life at this point had become about alcohol right. In fact, that's not even the best way to put that. The outward expression of my life was completely separate from what I was inside, right? I was living two split, I was living a split personality, I was living like two different worlds. I was this teetotaling, is that how you say that? Teetotaler, good husband, good provider, good man to the outside world that was the, what i projected that was what i tried to walk through that was the mask that i was wearing while inside i was a turmoil of constant calculation constant vigilance knowing exactly how many bottles of wine bottles of alcohol of vodka how many little how many cans of beer were stashed around the house where the empties were how i was disposing of them when i was going to be able to get the next round of it and how to get that shit stashed into the groceries that I'd go buy. Because again, I was a great husband. I'll go run to the store. No big deal. I'll I'll make that errand. I'll run to Home Depot for something. Oh, I need to grab something. I'm not going to let this sit. I better run to the store for this. It's a constant, constant, constant hustle, like a fiend to keep the shit around me and to keep any evidence of it existing away from my wife, away from my family, away from my friends. Like no one could know. (sighs) That I'm getting anxiety just thinking about how I was living because that, (laughs) especially in hindsight, it seems like no shit just to say that that was not sustainable, right? Like that, had to implode on itself and the the remarkable thing is that it didn't it took a very long time before it truly imploded right i only had one or two i had a handful of times where in hindsight i'm sure she especially was like oh right the only thing that makes that make any sense is that you were fucking out of your mind drunk Right like you fell asleep on the floor of the kids' room at three o'clock on a Saturday and missed our phone our multiple phone calls to come pick us up from the movie theater that's that's weird, you know, yeah, my explanation was, oh, yes, I was just very tired from the work week and from exercising that day. That's why I was passed out cold for three hours on the floor of the kids' room. That's why <laughs> I fell asleep. In the Blimpy parking lot, as I popped out for sandwiches one night and took, I don't know, two and a half hours to get back from Blimpy that was a quarter of a mile away. Yeah. So, yeah, there were clear cracks in the facade. But who knows? Maybe she just thought I was having an affair, which is probably, well, no, I don't even know that that's worse. <sighs> in terms of the deception because i was lying directly to this person's face and that's bad i mean it's bad to lie to people it's bad to make people believe the wrong thing especially for selfish reasons but something i've i've come to realize is even more over the last couple of years is that not only was I lying to her and deceiving her and and manipulating her and very likely gaslighting her, although I didn't register that that's what I was doing, And, and other than those handful of times when I was coming up with wild fabrications, I was never really acknowledging the oddity of my behavior. And that's still just more manipulation, because I, I I never tried to deny, to get her to um, question what she thought was happening. I just came up with really wild, convoluted explanations to downplay and rationalize it. So I suppose that's not quite gaslighting, but boy, it's close enough for government work. But that is all terrible shit. But the worst part is, what I've realized over the last couple of years, thinking back on it, is that she wanted to believe me. She wanted to believe in me. And she wanted that so much that she probably didn't, didn't question the reality right in front of her eyes. Or, I don't know, the non-reality right in front of her eyes. She didn't question that the world we were living in was what she thought it was, what I was presenting it to be. Maybe somewhere deep subconsciously she knew better, but she was probably suffering from a lot of the same little ignoring the inner voice that I was going through. I mean, we were deeply codependent, so there's a high likelihood that whatever it was that I was using to deceive myself, she was doing the same thing because we were so similar. I feel like that's a big part of codependency as you reflect. I mean, with anyone, you reflect yourself within them, anyone you're close to and in love with, especially the good and the bad gets reflected back to you. Point is, she loved me. And I wasn't conscious, but I was using that against her. Using the fact that I knew she didn't want to believe that I had was drinking, but she wanted to believe me, right? I mean, she could smell liquor on me one night and I convinced her that it was not liquor, that I was just, I had just smoked a little pot because somewhere in the middle of all that we had this compromise where she came up with the idea that maybe I should try smoking a little weed because clearly I was still stressed out about work. and I was having heaping responsibilities and mortgages and <sighs> debt and car payments and Three kids and all of this shit and, you know, the guillotine was still there when it came to alcohol. But maybe I could try smoking pot. And, of course, I grabbed onto that because I knew that I could use the idea that I was high to rationalize my drunken behavior, which is what I tried to do one night. One night that sticks out to me because I know, based on the deep way she looked at me and walked out of the room, she knew I was fucking lying to her, but she just didn't want to deal with it. So yeah, eventually all of it crashed. All of it came imploding in on me, and I, I left the house, moved into my parents' basement, <sighs> and a few months later, I lost my job because part of the implosion involved me admitting that I was, well, I didn't admit that I was drinking; I just pretended. Right, I pretended that because of some traumatic interactions between she and I, I was now going to drink. I declared, now I'm going to start drinking again. And then I was able to be out of the closet uh, with my drinking. And that's when shit really fell apart. right? And within a few months, I was out of a job. And... It was clear that I needed to once again stop drinking and I was still convincing myself that I'd get around to it later, right? And that was (laughs) wildly ridiculous considering at that point, you know, I was out of a job. I was drinking every morning because I was shaking first thing in the morning and I would have a drink so that I would, you know, get the shakes to subside until the afternoon when I could, you know reasonably start actually drinking again because, you know, responsible people don't drink until at least three or four in the afternoon, not at, you know, nine or 10 in the morning. That nine or 10 in the morning drink is just to keep your hands from shaking so bad that you can fall back. So you can fall back asleep for a little while, or in my case, go down to a coffee shop and just kind of hang out. Or maybe I'm putting that in there. I don't think I was doing a lot of coffee shop sitting at that point. That was actually, that was after I actually found recovery point is at some point i realized i needed to quit and it was also clear that maybe maybe it was time to let the aa police come get me as it were that maybe i should go seek some outside help like maybe i should start going to some of these like treatment places that are are out there for people like me who can't stop fucking drinking maybe 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 i should go to do one of those things And I went to my first outpatient treatment center. Went to my first outpatient treatment center in November of 2008. And the intake nurse asked me a bunch of personal questions and I filled out the questionnaire and I put all the details in there and I handed it in and I went to the courses that they had outlined for the day and I just kind of waltzed my way in and sort of involved myself in everything that was going on. And went from class to class, and I held hands at the end of the class, and I and I you know I don't remember if they said the Serenity Prayer, but I I definitely you know joined the mantra or said the, the collective you know don't drink between meetings you know and come back tomorrow or whatever they said, and and I would you know pat people on the back and say thank you and see you tomorrow, and then I would go drink a mini bottle of wine or maybe one of those Sparks alcoholic energy drinks that I had stashed in the trunk of my car and then I'd I'd go home. Well, home was my parents' house at that point. And I remember thinking after I'd been doing it for a few days, you know, it was you know, it was like a eight to five kind of thing or a nine to six or something. Multiple classes with lunch break. And a little time with a counselor. And I remember thinking, hmm, Maybe I should be more honest with the counselor, right? I'd, I'd filled all, all the intake thing, and part of it was, you know, when, when did you start drinking, in my case? When did you start using, using you know, when, when did this begin? And I had listed the date that I officially declared to the world that I was drinking again, right? came out of the closet. I had put that date down because, you know, who knows who's going to see this document. And so I took a chance, and I, and I called a meeting with that counselor again and said, hey, hey, uh, I wasn't I wasn't accurate about this. I wasn't honest about this. And I, and I told her, hey, I, the truth is I've been drinking for for years, and I had put that date down there because that's the day that I was comfortable admitting. And it felt like kind of this heavy burden sitting on my chest. And she kind of shrugged and said, okay, put whatever date you need. And then she just kind of turned around and went back to whatever she was doing at her desk and I kind of scribbled a different date in and went back to the classes and felt weird for a minute and then it occurred to me that, you know, I was still under the guillotine, right? In my head I was still under the guillotine and, and and, and you know, despite having moved out of the house and being nominally separated, we weren't divorced and she didn't need to know. My wife didn't need to know. And I realized, yeah, she's probably not going to look at that document, right? This is my own personal <laughs> documents at a outpatient treatment center that probably got filed in the garbage can a few months later. And I don't know if the word obvious is relevant or not, but soon after then, I started to drink again, obviously. And uh, by Christmas of 2008 and then that Christmas to New Year's Eve 2009, I was in a perpetual state of just fucking blackout drinking, right? I was I was doing my best to destroy everything in my life. And I was still trying to pretend that I was going to those classes, right? And I don't think anybody who, who actually cared about me and was looking at me believed that I was going to those classes, believed that I was trying to stay sober. But I was still playing the game, and for the most part, people were just kind of playing along and pretending like they didn't, pretending that they believed me, pretending that they believed in me. And by January 4th, I realized, well, and by January 4th, I decided I was done, right? I decided, you know, I, I, I had to make a change, right? I had to, I had to get this shit under control. I had to get this shit under control and what the fuck I had done it once before and yeah it hadn't lasted forever but I was able to stop right I could I could stop I stopped before I'd stopped whatever eight years earlier I could stop again and so on January 4th I drank the last little bit of whiskey that was at the bottom of a bottle that was near empty somewhere in in the room where I was staying in my parents' basement and then i I grabbed up all the the clutter of empties that Turned out to be about two garbage bags full, which was astonishing to me because it didn't seem like I was drinking that much. And I got them all out of there. And I dumped them all out and and I set about <laughs> stopping drinking, right? Like I took a big, the last big drink of alcohol and then I decided to quit drinking and uh, turned out that that little shot of whiskey in the morning was just enough to let me forget that my body shakes at that point. My body shakes when I don't have liquor in it, and it wasn't an issue until mid-afternoon when I started to get real shivery, and I and I couldn't sit still, and I couldn't I couldn't be comfortable in my skin. And by dinner time, when I found my way back to my parents' house at dinner time, you know, when I quit hiding because my father, my father was looking at me with with eyes that told me that I wasn't doing the right thing that told me that I was not okay in his estimation that perhaps you know and maybe this is the story I've built for myself but the the look in his eye told me that he was not happy I was his (laughs) and I wasn't looking at that I wasn't seeing that so I avoided him all day and I finally found my way back shaky and jittery and like a fucking dog with his tail between his legs and when I walked in my dad mercifully just saw the look in my eye and just put his arm around me. And, you know, my, my my stepmom gave me a hug and they just said, let's let's eat some food. And I tried to sit at the table with them and it was like, it was like, it was like a Charlie Chaplin movie, right? Like I, I was trying to lift the fork full of food up to my face and before that could reach my mouth, I'd vibrate the food off of it. I was shaking so bad and it was and it was ridiculous and and I would I would stop and I would look at it and I would look at my parents fa- my, my parents was we all just sat around the kitchen table and they just kind of patted me and said it's okay and and my, my stepmom suggested I take a bath to try and like I don't know it feels like you're cold when you're shivering like that so a bath just seems logical and it, maybe it was logical but uh I don't know. I got in the bath and two minutes later, 30 seconds later, one breath later, I don't know, I was being resuscitated by paramedics as I sat naked on the toilet and I apparently had a seizure sitting in the bathtub. I have no memory of exactly what happened, you know, and, and that was, that was the shit hitting the fan. You'd think that was the shit hitting the fan. You'd think that was the shit hitting a fan. I wound up in a inpatient treatment center after that. And I, I went through inpatient treatment. And once again, I was facing an intake counselor who wanted to know my history. And I once again lied about when I had started drinking. Only this time, I didn't get through the whole session before I corrected myself. Because I, I knew, hey, no, this isn't right. I gotta be honest. I gotta be honest about this. And I told her, you know truth is I started drinking I started drinking a long time ago and I was hiding it from everyone and again the counselor counselor didn't seem to really give a shit and I uh I kind of downplayed it anyway and said yeah I mean I started a little bit ago but then it started to really started to be really bad you know this last summer but you know and I, I just crossed my fingers that when the family day came my counselor wouldn't bring this up to my wife because there was no way i was ready to have her look at that i just i just needed to admit it aloud to someone and i guess be given the attaboy pat on the head it's it's a good you know th- you know g- good job being upfront about this you know you 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 get a you get a brownie point for this i wanted that but i didn't want I didn't want to actually acknowledge what that might mean, and I'm pausing there because what it meant was I was still not really ready to acknowledge how much I had been deceiving myself and how long, how much my deception of myself and of my life and my family and, and all the people around me, how much destruction that that had actually caused, how much my intentional and willful and conscious decisions to do different things than what I was telling people I was doing, to live a different life, to be a different person than who I was actually feeling like I was inside of, of who I actually was being inside, like having a different person on the outside than who I was on the inside. I was not ready to acknowledge just how devastating that was and was continuing to be. Because at that treatment center, all I did was dry out, and i buffered myself again the little minor self-deception by saying oh i've come clean i came clean to my counselor about all this and so now i've been honest and now i can move forward right and i feel like i feel like a lot of us especially before we we're really in recovery a lot of just normal people let's call them normies people who don't have alcohol or drug addictions right? People who just get to live their lives without this fucking burden on their shoulders or on their back or whatever. There's this misconception that identifying a problem, acknowledging it, seeing it, registering that it's something that you have, seeing that, oh, oh, I am this way about this kind of thing. I'm, I'm, you know, I have a short temper. I'm, I'm not ca- careful with other people's feelings. You know, I, Whatever it is, I, I sometimes <laughs> lie to my kids when there's no reason to. Do, any, any number of things, there's this misconception that simply acknowledging that they exist and being willing to look at it and say, oh, yeah, I, I'm guilty of this. I This is something I do. We have this misconception that that's the same as doing something about it. That's the same as making a sh- change. That's just, we have this misconception that that's the same as embracing it and actually acknowledging deep within our core what that means, right? Because that second part, acknowledging it in our core and seeing what it means is will require some kind of actual action unless we want to continue being that way and i i know that this is something we all do i did it for sure before i was i did it for sure throughout all my life but especially before i found recovery this misconception that simply acknowledging a problem acknowledging a character defect is the same thing as doing something about it and that's what i did in that first treatment center right like i acknowledged that i hadn't been honest and straightforward and truthful with myself or with or with my family especially and that was good I wiped my hands of it it was like brushing some dust off my shoulder I got out of that treatment center and I was all good I'd kicked it I even started attending 12 step recovery program meetings right and and I even talked to people in there and I even shared when I was called on and I had all sorts of Anecdotal things to bring up in reference to whatever the topic was or whatever I was asked to share about. Nifty, shallow level things that didn't really acknowledge anything about myself or about my true feelings or even go deeper than, you know, I don't know, random thoughts. And eventually I drank again. And eventually I made things even worse in my life. You know, eventually I found myself within 24 hours of having a glass of whiskey drinking to a blackout state at 10 in the morning and driving my children around at dinner time that same night in a complete blackout and passing out on the side of the road with a car on the side of the road passing out at the wheel. And ending up in jail. And yeah, my life had fucking fallen apart. Right? Like it within within thirty six hours I went from being fucking cool guy who's got this shit licked to waking up on a steel chair, steel table in the fucking drunk tank, Ada County Sheriff's. Right? And then I realized I needed to get real, right? Then then I found my way back to a fucking treatment center, right? I'm not going to go into the, the the nonsense that took from waking up in the fucking Ada County to actually finding my way to treatment. It's just a bunch of drunken bullshit. But I do know that when I walked into that second treatment center, second inpatient treatment center, and I sat down with the intake counselor there, and I sat down with my journals, and I went through the, the, the work especially those first few days, I realized something had to fucking change. And part of that was becoming honest with myself, right? I mean, there's... there's an, And there's an extent to which all of the fundamental principles of my recovery, you know, letting go, being humble, being honest finding my sense of spirituality, like these are all kind of wrapped into one thing. So I have a tendency when I'm talking about any of them individually to say this was the thing because they're all together. There's no like one piece here and one piece over there and over there and then they interlock and form some sort of magic triangle thing that, <sighs> whatever, just whatever, however you want to visualize it. They're all just one thing. They're all one different side of the exact same thing. And I had to be fucking honest, right? Like, I I had to be honest. I could no longer, I could could just feel, suddenly I was able to feel, or I don't even think it was sudden, I think over time in the treatment center and, and over the months of my recovery as I got out of the treatment center and moved through my life and started slowly, slowly, meticulously trying to put my life back together after that. I knew I had to be honest and i could i could get this sense inside of me when i was deceiving myself right and it was a skill it was it was a muscle i was learning to flex it was it was i was gaining strength in the ability to have that awareness to to act off of that awareness to use that awareness in a way rather than just simply be aware of it you know and i mean the first step is is an acknowledgement of that, just pure honesty, right? Like I I admit, you know, I had to admit to myself that I was powerless over alcohol, <sighs> and my life was truly unmanageable at that point, right? And and if, when I drink, it is immediately unmanageable, and to the point of what I'm getting at today, you know, that that feeling inside me, of being dishonest, that feeling of being marginally dishonest of, of saying one thing, but meaning another of, of, you know, minimizing the impact of something. There's just any number of however you want to say it duplicitousness. Like I can't live with that. I can't live with that from me. I mean, I, I I can't do anything about it from other people, (sighs) And that's you know I'm I'm not I'm not going to pretend like I don't ever lie that I don't ever like downplay things that I don't obfuscate that I don't kick things down the line to be more honest about them later right like I'm still a fucking person I still do those things the big difference is I no longer minimize it I no longer pretend like it's nothing because I know The difference between, you know, a white lie to to protect someone's feelings, you know, whatever. The like, does this shirt look good on me kind of thing. You know, that's one thing. But I know minimizing the way something is impacting me, minimizing the way I truly feel about something to protect someone else's feelings or to perhaps not acknowledge my own feelings. That kind of thing will grow like a cancer inside of me. And a little tiny kernel of deception can blossom into this disgusting growth that gets in the way of all of my peace and all of my serenity and can eventually disrupt me. And I don't know. I I don't know what the line of sight is between that and then relapsing and taking a drink. I don't want to know. I know that it points in that direction. And a major aspect of my recovery is being acutely aware or trying to be as acutely aware as possible of when a trajectory is leading me towards that fucking path. And even if it's miles and miles down the path, I don't want to be on it. And I know, even the smallest deception, especially with the people I love, especially with the people who love me, even the smallest deception that sits in my core like that, even in a tiny, tiny way, is going to lead me down that path towards that direction and i can't have it and when when i speak about honesty and when when i when when the idea of honesty when it comes to recovery when it comes to life because as i've said multiple times recovery is life and I'm, i don't speak of my life independent of recovery i have no life without my recovery and so when I speak of honesty in my life and in my recovery, that's what I'm referring to: is being rigorously honest with myself about what is truly going on inside of me, and being aware when I don't know. Right? Being honest with myself about whether or not I, tr- I seem to know. Right? I mean, I, I don't. I don't have perfect clarity of who I am and what my feelings are all the time I mean I'm still a person like I said and I know that I don't know I know that I don't know a lot of things and I know I don't know a lot of things about what's going on with me I have my experiences to guide me and my past experiences kind of dictate or at least give me a a hint as to what it is I think is going on within me and why I'm responding to certain events in certain ways I don't ever sit in self-deception, especially if I'm aware of it, right? I mean, probably we're all self-deceiving ourselves about something, not consciously or not. But I think you understand what I'm saying. You know, so especially when it comes to the people I love, the people who love me, The wisest path, the path of serenity and peace, even if is, is always honesty, even if in the short term it feels like it's going to cause more chaos and pain and dis- discomfort, it's always, always the smarter path. And I do my best to choose that. And I don't know. My success rates What maybe 75%. I don't know, babe. You tell me. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought this was going to be a short podcast, but I guess I had a, a lot of stuff to get off my chest about my past to get to a point where it at least felt like it would make sense. Maybe I... Maybe I talked too long, maybe I didn't need to go into all that, but I I don't know. I I feel like I should also be sharing more about my own personal story here. I didn't want to start this podcast off being all about my story, but I also knew that it would start to come out as I became more comfortable talking here. So yeah, I kind of ran at the lips there longer than I intended, but... Like I said, it's all different sides of the same thing right and honesty has been on my mind a lot lately um not because of anything going on in my personal life that that calls for (laughs) honesty or just you know calling myself out for specifically dishonest behaviors just it's just kind of been in the of the background of my day-to-day walking around life in a way that i thought i should acknowledge it here and I don't know, I I hope that was at least interesting and gives you a little food for thought. Um, you know, and if there's one takeaway, it's, you know, the discomfort, the short-term discomfort of being honest is always going to be way easier to deal with than the long-term fucking distortion that being even the smallest bit of dishonest today will very likely lead to down the line so yeah just be rigorously honest with yourself and then rational about how that's going to approach how to approach the rest of the people in your life I don't know I hope you got something from that um And like I always say, man, life is, life is hard and it's long, but it's also short. And we only get one time through. So I, for one, want to make sure or at least give myself the best chance of having an acceptable experience along along the way. I I love, my heart goes out to any of you, all of you, but any of you in recovery and any of you who are trying to. Get recovering stay sober, man. It's tough. It's fucking tough. And this bit about fucking rigorous honesty, it's no joke. And if you wanna to talk to me about it, if you want to reach out and just I don't know, bitch to me. Touch base in any way, you can find me on Facebook, you can you can you can look me up through the Eavesdrop Podcast Network. But man, I'm here. And there's a lot of people out here for you. You're not alone. Um, Yeah, I'm going to end it there. I appreciate you guys for listening. Thanks, and uh, have a good rest of your day. Drop?